Welcome, everybody, to the Trap Rock podcast out of the main. A little twist on a theme this week, Captain John. Yes, we're going down into the depths of Florida today, from what I understand. Is that right? One of my favorite places, and we'll find out why. It'll become relevant as we go. But yeah, we're super lucky to be joined by Bertie Higgins. Of course, everyone knows his hits, Key Largo and Just Another Day in Paradise and more and more beyond that. But let's, without further ado, welcome on onto the show, Mr. Bertie Higgins. Bertie, welcome. Hey, fellas. How are you guys doing today? We are doing great. Where are you located at? We are actually up in the Detroit area, so this is a long-distance call. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't call Collect. I'm kidding with you, man. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, just real quick on the Florida thing, John, because I know you have something yep. teed up, but uh, our parents, because John and I are co-hosts and brothers, our parents live in Florida, and I just wanted to give you a taste, Bertie, of how much your music has influenced our family's lives and how timeless it is, because my mom, who is pushing 80, her favorite song in the entire world is Key Largo. Yeah. And my daughter, her granddaughter, my daughter, 15, just melts like ice cream on a warm day whenever Just like uh, just Another Day in Paradise comes on my playlist. So well, that's amazing. Uh, you're hitting all generations. <laughs> that is cool. I mean, that, I mean, that is stunning to me. I mean, you got to understand something about Key Largo. When I wrote the song, I was playing it for my publisher in Atlanta, Bill Lowry, sitting on the edge of his desk, banging on my old Martin guitar. And he weighed about... 380 pounds, he got him and started dancing. And he said, well, lad, if that thing ever gets legs, it'll live forever. And it's amazing what the song has done over the years and is still doing. I didn't realize when I wrote it, I'd already written about 150 songs. But we were playing in a little bar, and I, I had a little band, we were playing in a bar in, uh, uh, in Georgia, a place called Smokey's. And we just whipped arrangement. We had to do it eight and ten times a night. And I said, well, we might have one in here. <laughs> My wife and I at that time weren't married, but we had split up for a while. And there was only one station in the world playing it. That was WWID in Gainesville, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, about 70 miles. And if you parked your car in the right direction and held your mouth just right, it would come trickling in over the radio. <laughs> well, I invited her to lunch the other uh, one day after that. And uh, we got in the car, and I set a prearranged deal with the program director at that uh, station to play Key Largo at noon. And he started playing it, and she turned to me and said, is that you? <laughs> I said, yes, I finally broke through somehow. And she says, you know, you're singing flat on the last chorus. And I went, oh, my God, there goes the romance <laughs> right out the window. Oh, my gosh, if only we had auto-tune back then. <laughs> Funny, we went back in the studio and fixed the flat chorus. So whenever I hear it, oh. whenever I hear it on the radio, I can tell whether it's a single recording or the album recording of the song, because fortunately I'm not singing flat on the album album version. Oh, no kidding! Oh, I might have to go and dig out an old 45 if I can find one. I remember when that song came out, and it was a huge song for me. It's funny; it didn't fit in with the style of anything I was listening to at that particular time, which was a lot more like new wave and it was Prince and stuff like that. But, you know, when I heard that song, I never, ever got tired of it. Now, one of the things that actually drew me in, believe it or not, 
Uh, I know you started as a drummer and then became a singer-songwriter, but the drum part on that song, which I know isn't you playing it, but that is what caught my attention. I don't know why, but I just love like the fill into that first chorus. Just perfect. We had it all Just like Buggy in the car Starring in our own late, late show Sailing away to Kilo Well, if you listen to it closely on that drum hit, whack, we had it all. You go into the chorus. There's a bass slide that goes boom right there. And it's buried somewhere in the mix. But that was, I insisted with the producer, we put the bass slide in there. And uh, But that's just little stories about the song. In fact, the girls singing, the answer part of the last chorus is, uh, we paid her $50. It was her first recording session ever. And she just became a wonderful singer. In fact, she's now one of the top uh, jingle singers in the, in the United States. Goes all the way back to Sears, the softer side of life. We That's her singing there. So she's amazing. <laughs> Wow. Now that is a fun factoid. I remember that jingle like it was yesterday. Well, I wanted to ask you about that term that I opened the podcast with, Bertie, the idea of trop rock, which is, I think, something that you coined. Um, We've been calling it marina rock, um, which is another delicious pun. But um, I'm curious how your sound evolved, who your influences were. Was it something that was intentional that you were trying to craft this sound or did it just evolve because of that's who you were and that's who you were influenced by? Well, I was influenced a lot by Cat Stevens, Gordon Lightfoot. And somewhere down the line, I met Buffett. In fact, we know each other pretty well. We have the same lawyer in Atlanta. But Jimmy's stuff is more, uh, there's a lot of it that's tongue-in-cheek, which I don't do a lot of, even though I've crossed over that forbidding line occasionally (laughs) on some of my albums, of the 27 albums I have out there. If you listen to some of these songs, I'm from a little Greek village in Florida called Tarpon Springs. There's a Greek instrument called a bazookia, which is a 12-string 12, uh, instrument, double strings. And I put bazooki on some of my projects, or some of my albums. So I've got my own flavor going to this whole madness thing. Um, but I did put an album out called Trop Rock, which I, at that point I coined the phrase Trop Rock. I guess you guys are focusing on Yacht Rock. Is this well, true? yeah, that's kind of where our podcast started. But uh, we are more appreciators of... All of the music from that era, we kind of hit mostly mid-70s to mid-80s, of which you fall right in the middle of that. So it's more about the music, and it probably centers around Yacht Rock, but uh, we are not the adherents that um, maybe the term Yacht Rock would (laughs) make you think. But I wanted to ask you about, um, since you're talking about song structure, the um, your lyric approach. I mean, I'm not probably breaking any news when I talk about the the movie references you do. I mean, Key Largo's built on it, Casablanca's built on it. But beyond that, you have such a, um, a, a technique where you really draw a picture for us listeners. You know, I can visualize what's going on. It's almost as if I'm reading that little pre-setup to a screenplay that maybe sets the scene and uh, from what I understand, you may have some sort of interest in screenplay writing and all that stuff. But can you talk a little about that? Well, you know, I'm always listen, I'm always listening for inspiration lyrically. In fact, in my family history, uh, Germany's famous poet was called Goethe, 
Goethe, Johann von Wolfgang Goethe. And uh, I assume that's where my uh, lyric ability came from, came down the pike. But I'm a saltwater boy. I grew up on the Gulf, and my father taught me everything about the Gulf. Uh, and I was a sponge diver for a while in Tarpon Springs. That's what it's famous for. But I've always been intrigued by the water. Uh, to me, it's a constant inspiration. I've tried to break off from that in some of my writing, but I always seem to go back to it. In fact, I'm working on a song right now, If the Yachts Are Rockin', Don't Come and Knockin'. <laughs> and I'm always coming up with these nutty ideas, man. But oddly enough, Key Largo is not the biggest record I've got in the world. Is this um, old, uh, There's a song called Casablanca. huge in the Pacific Rim countries. In fact, I was in China eight times in 2019. So I've been to every country over there. And it's amazing how big that song is. I read there was a cover of it by a Japanese singer that went to like number two in the Japanese charts. Um, I can't pronounce the name, Hiromi Go? Yeah, Hiromi Go had it as number two and he's singing in Japanese. Okay. An amazing song. In fact, when I go to YouTube, I look at the people who have done versions of that song. And it's just amazing how this keeps going on and on. In fact, I've done only two shows this year because of the pandemic. But the royalties keep pouring. I would call mailbox money. <laughs> keeps pouring in the mailbox. I'm going, man, do I ever want to go back on the road again? Because that's the tough part of it, going out on the road. Especially if you have a crazy band like mine. They're all nuts. But I, but I love them to death. <laughs> <laughs> so how long has this group been together? They've been with you a long time? About 20 years. Every now and then one will drop out and i got to replace him or her, which I don't like to do because I don't like to rehearse. In other words, I'll give them a couple of CDs and I say, learn these songs, and then we'll go into one rehearsal and that's it. The one thing I don't want to do is ever rehearse Key Largo again. Do you find that you have to play it more than once a night at some of the gigs you've yeah, done? Yeah, I always do it about second or third song. We normally close out with it people... Just can't okay. seem to get enough of that song. It's amazing. Scott Shannon, who was a, one of the first DJs on VH1, which was the AC uh, version of M MTV, Scott and I became good friends. And I had him out on one of my boats off Anclote Key, off Tarpon Springs one day. We were drinking and raising hell. And, but they had just sent down a director from New York to do the video, which to me is pretty primitive, actually. It's actually the girl in the video, he went to Tarpon Springs High School, drug her out of the senior class, and put her on the boat. She didn't <laughs> want to do it. Um, what? But the director was Andy Warhol's director. And uh, back oh to Scott gosh. Shannon and me, I had an extra three-quarter-inch copy of the video, and I gave it to him as a gift. Well, he soon after became one of the VJs on VH1, and they didn't have a lot of material. They played that song 12 times a day. So that kind of drove it home in the minds of America, I guess. As long as you keep those uh, mailbox hinge uh, hinges lubricated, you'll be fine, right? <laughs> yeah, <So>. because <laughs> when I write a song, I try to write it for the world. I want to be able to relate to everyone in the world who, you know, who can 
relate to it. And that's important to me. I haven't written one song this year, but after writing 250 of them, you kind of run out of stuff to talk about. So here I go, go the odds are rocking, don't come and knock. And <laughs> <laughs> How did it become that your uh, most avid fans I read are called the Boneheads? Is that something you coined or someone else? No, I coined it. I mean, several years ago, I uh, had my artist who does a lot of my artwork, who's deceased now, for the albums, came up with a logo, this little pirate skull. And I said, that's a bonehead. So, <laughs> and so I've got a lot of the bonehead fans. In fact, we did seven cruises on the ships into the Caribbean, the bonehead annual cruise. But we always had fun with it. Well, let's talk about my other favorite tune. I was too young at the time to remember. So refresh the, chrono- the chronology of how soon after Key Largo's hit the charts was Just Another Day in Paradise released. It's just another day in paradise. Love the night away till the sunrise. Seeing that other look in your eyes. Just another day in paradise. A bottle rum. Listen to the steel drum band. Well, it was a second single that came out, and it did well. It was a title song of that first album. Um. About a year. I mean, we didn't want, want to wait too long, and nor did we want to take the thunder out of Key Largo. But a lot of the DJs liked it more than Key Largo, and I'm going, wow. The craziest song I ever wrote was another Bogart thing called Tokyo Joe, and I hate the song. <laughs> and I won't play it live, and I won't listen to it. But I get emails every now and then, people saying, thank you so much for writing Tokyo Joe. It changed our lives. And I'm wow. going, what in the hell are these people listening to? At any rate, <laughs> that's just another song I won't do. And I'm sure every writer's got a song they hate. That's my hate song. Yeah. Imagine uh, Buffett in Margaritaville. That one, I'm sure, he, you know, he lives off it, but he probably doesn't want to do it <laughs> anymore. Well, he's done well with it. And he wrote it in two different sections. Actually, there's a, another verse in that song that uh, the label at the time, and I'm not sure who put it out, cut it back because it was pushing four minutes. And radio doesn't like to play a song that long. They can't get enough commercials in. Uh, I love the title of your 1983 album, Pirates and Poets. <laughs> and how did the uh, Roy Orbison thing come about? Uh, a track called Leah. Well, the president of BMI, who became a friend of mine, talked Roy into it. And I'd done some touring with Roy and Tommy Rowe on the drums. And I really liked Roy a lot, but boy, that boy can sing. We were at, uh, in a studio in Nashville on a cold December night. I'll never forget this. And he came flying in the gravel parking lot in a Ferrari, I believe, sideways. Jumps out of the car and said, what's going on, Bertie? How you been? So we went in the studio, and they basically spaced us about three feet apart with a, a mic in front of each of us. And we, anyone that'll sing with Roy, he'll, he'll inspire you to really sing. The last note in the song is open throat. There's no falsetto. When he hit that note, my hair curled. It was an amazing night. His wife was there. She was going, Roy, 
boy, because he was tuning up. He had to tune his voice up. But he was an amazing guy, and I'm so sorry. He passed away too soon. Well, uh, speaking of uh, maybe counterintuitive collaborations, I just learned that you struck up something of a relationship and uh, working collaboration with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, well, Burt and I became good friends. Uh, when he told me, Burt, you're the best songwriter that ever came out of Florida. Well, recently, I'll go, I'll be go that back to that in a minute. I was inducted into the Artist Hall of Fame, which is an honor from the governor's office of Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm in there with Tennessee Williams and uh, major writers. Uh, Ernest Hemingway's in that list. And they put a plaque of me on the, uh, the Capitol Dome inside, along with the other of these notables. I was more impressed by the songwriting than my vocals, because that was always my go-to thing that I really enjoyed doing. Uh, Bert and I became friends. I met him on the set of The Man Who, the Man Who Loved Women. One night I was headed to Japan on my first uh, Asian tour. And his brother Jim was his transportation captain. Captain, and they were shooting a film in Atlanta called uh, Sharky's Machine. And uh, Jim used to pick him up in the morning in Bert's rented tour bus and drive him to the set. Well, I had recorded a demo of that first album with just me and a guitar, and he forced Bert to listen to it every morning. Going to the set, Bert wore him out. I mean, Jim wore his brother out. <laughs> but then several years passed and Bert got in touch with me with his secretary, wanted me to come down to uh, Jupiter, Florida, where he was filming a series called, um, what was the series? It was a ABC mystery movie of the week. And he wanted me to write this song and he kind of told me the story. So I went back to Atlanta and wrote it. And uh, he and I became friends after but I was recently inducted into the Florida Music Hall of Fame last year, just before he passed away. And he had his driver running over to Fort Lauderdale with the award, and he presented me with the award. So Bert and oh, I man. were friends cool. over the years, kept bumping into each other. An amazing guy, very talented guy, too. Gotcha. At the top of his game, I mean, did you meet him back in the 70s where he's literally at the top of the box office draws? Before the end of the 70s, I taught his class cabaret singing. He had an art, I mean, he had an acting class over in Jupiter. And I I went over there and we did a little trade-off. I said, if you'll talk to my class about cabaret singing, I'll teach you some script writing screenplays, which I, I'm glad he did because I, I just finished up recently producing my fourth feature film, which my son Julian directed. And one of the investors is, is in Bahrain near Saudi Arabia. He called me up um, a couple of months ago and said, let's do, I had a film called uh, Christmas in Hollywood, which he told me he'd seen it on a couple of international flights. He said, why don't we do Christmas in Hollywood, dot, 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 Florida, that is, Hollywood, Florida. Ah. So now we're working on that screenplay. All right. Things you never know where stuff's going to end up, man. It's amazing to me. I always try to be careful about what I write. Uh, Tokyo Joe-isms. Uh, you just never know where something's going to end up. How is it that, uh, well, the reason we're having this conversation partly is to do with some of the stuff that you're having released or re-released now. Were some of the 
albums that we're going to be talking about originally released only in Japan, say, or they didn't get a full digital release before? Uh, because I've seen some of your albums with, uh, like, the Japanese um, cover on them. Yeah, well, the, the, uh, I have a record company out of uh, Beijing, which is the biggest film and music distributor in China. And uh, they signed me to a deal. And there were two or three, four albums that I designed simply for the Pacific Rim countries. Like one of, uh, one of the Time Life albums is called Forever Casablanca. Well, I never had a domestic album called that. So with Time Life, God bless them that they hooked me up. It's, been a, it's going to be an amazing thing. There's only two countries not to, they're not distributing to, which is North Korea and Iraq. And I'm going, well, that's okay. I don't really care about that. <laughs> we had to redesign all the new artwork for that, which my younger son, Aaron, who's very good with uh, art and things like that, does, designed or helped me design these new covers and new titles. And a lot of the albums that were coming out were a conglomeration of several albums. Um, I also have one called uh, Forever Gold or something about uh, filled with filled with cover songs that I did, and uh, we had to read uh, we had to compile those from several albums because every now and then I've got songs that I really like, uh, rock and roll things basically, stuff like uh, Money for Nothing, mm. and uh, and so we compiled that into the uh, Gold Treasures. I think the album we entitled it. Yep. There you go. So just the, the time life thing, just to clarify, is, is looking at my notes here, um, five albums reissued in total. Um, one is the reissue of 1983's Pirates and Poets, uh, which I apparently wasn't streaming until uh, Time Life uh, reissued it in July. And then the four compilations are Gold Treasures, Let's Sail Away to Key Largo, Rock the Docks, in forever Casablanca. And these are all different variations. So there's a lot of variety, no repeat between the, the four, I would imagine. Right. And, and as time goes on, they're going to release more, uh, because you, I've got 27 albums, an awful lot of material on those albums. And what I like about it is that people who like my music, but only know the hits are going to be able to hear songs by me that they never heard unless they bought all 27 albums. That I do like because it exposes more of my writing to the world. And I can attest firsthand to that. I, for my uh, wife, or actually for Christmas this past year, I refurbished her grandfather's old, uh, you know, Victrola. And we had, I had no records in the house, so we had to go out and stock up. And uh, one of the first albums I bought was the first Bertie Higgins album. And John, I don't know if you remember, I texted you right away. I'm like, that sucker is deep. That yeah. is, it goes way beyond the hits. Yep. So I can't recommend that highly enough. I haven't gotten to all 27 yet, but I'm on my way. If you need the original albums, I've got to load them. So let me know what you want, and I'll fire them off to you, man. Oh, mm. man, that would be outstanding. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take anything you're willing to part with. Uh, I did a duet on one of the albums. You remember Sally Kellerman? Hot Lips Hulahan in the movie MASH. Well, she had a little jazz trio, so we went to the studio a couple of years ago, and we did a duet on a song called La Vie en Rose, which is from the Second World War. And it was, I sang in French, she sang in English. Yeah, 
if pardon my French was about right, but um, <laughs> well, Bertie, uh, never thought I'd have the opportunity to tell you this, but um, just as background, John and I, you mentioned, are we yacht rock? Do we or do we do trap rock? Well, John and I also have musical projects of our own, um, and one of which is a, a project we call August Red. And these are songs mostly that I wrote and it's got one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat, I would think. Um, and one of the songs on there was inspired explicitly by your style of music and it's called sunshine melody. And I'm going to send it to you. Um, I'd love your honest opinion, but it is it, at the same time, a love letter to my wife, a love letter to the state of Florida in a love letter to the music of Bertie Higgins. Well, God bless you, man. That's really good, and I appreciate that. That's really wonderful. Do you have plans, Bertie, to... You say you're you're 250 songs in, and by your own uh, accounting of things, sort of running out of the uh, creative juices, but do we expect... You also said you have a new song in the works, so can we expect new material? Yeah, I've got several of them. You know, I get tired of saying I love you in many ways. How about I hate your guts? How's that one? (laughs) I've just got, got to get to a different realm there, even though I've done, I've done okay with the writing, the writings that I've done. And there's very few that I spend time on and money that I don't like, or I wouldn't write them. One of my favorites is a simple recording called The Girl. Oh, how I miss the girl. Miss her, kiss her, island world. Lying on the sand. With the sun in her curls How I miss the girl Because I was always a folky from the beginning. You know, I look around the bars in Tampa Bay and there's a guitar player on a stool and every one of them a guitar player. But I did that back in the late 70s. But that was an interesting time in my life that really cut some of the rough edges off what I was writing and doing. Well, you've written enough um, and been appreciated enough that you've been, uh, what, into two Hall of Fames, as you suggested. And I would say that uh, by being part of the uh, Time Life series, which goes back you know, to when we were kids, um, that's another museum in and of itself. I mean, because it's equal parts re-releasing the music, but it's also kind of saving it for, you know, posterity, so to speak, or future generations. I mean, that is a museum. This new Time Life thing is a streaming thing, which is a relatively new animal. Uh, I'm already on the late shows that they do in the, in the middle of the night, but the streaming thing really uh, exposes music. And my wife is in there yelling at, I wrote a lot of songs for Beverly, uh, good and bad, but uh, <laughs> mostly good, hopefully. And I've written a couple of songs about old girlfriends which I don't play much for my wife. That's kind of upsetting to her, I think. <laughs> ah, yeah, I would not. <laughs> I noticed you mentioned that uh, Key Largo went, we know it went number four on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one AC, but I, I also had a note here that it went number 50 on the uh, country chart. Yeah, that song crossed over in a lot of places. Uh, in fact, there was a country show used to be on the Nashville Network called Nashville Now, hosted by Ralph Emery. Mm-hmm. I did that show 50 times. Ooh. And I'm not a country act. You go figure that out. I can't figure it out. It's just the music appeals to all kinds of people, walks of life, foreigners, uh, nice people, mean people, all kinds of people. And that's how I kind of <laughs> try to write my songs. 
Yeah, very universal, right? Yeah, and because the big money in the music business is songwriting. I mean, if you can write songs that live a long time, you can just quit, you know, and just go into the mailbox every week because it's that good. <laughs> so all the aspiring songwriters out there write songs that you feel will have legs that will live forever. That's important. And if you don't know how to write them, listen to, go stream some music and see where it's at. Even though a lot of music today, I don't know where it's at. I'm not sure how to write it. Well, that goes back to the appeal of your music, Bertie, is that the the hooks are so infectious. Um, the song structure is, you know, fairly... Um, intuitive in terms of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, a change in, in the, the, I listen to a lot of the stuff my kids listen to and a, I can't find a hook in there anywhere. B, it feels like a four bar loop over and over again. And as John likes to say, once you've heard the first verse, you've heard the entire song. So that's pretty scary. I think, I mean, the great American songbook, the great American songbook is dying. And I wait for it to return because that's where the, every now and then you'll stumble into something that's pretty good. Like I did like one rap song called Can't Touch This. <laughs> Can't Touch This. I thought it was interesting. Classic. But yeah, you've got to do a repeating chorus. That's my school of songwriting. Well, you know, I was writing a lot of introverted songs when I first started writing. And I started, after that, I started thinking more mainstream about what people were liking. And it was all that repeating chorus, which... People like a repeating chorus because they can remember it. They can tap their foot to it. They also like a, a, a repeating guitar lick. Stuff like that is what made the Eagles great. And uh, my favorite band I just tuned into after all these years is ABBA. Those two guys wrote some great material. I'm not talking about Mamma Mia. I'm talking about album cuts. These guys hold up in a little cabin on an island off near Stockholm and just wrote. And one of my producers years ago said, Bertie, no matter what it is you're writing, write every day if you can, because you never know from whence it's going to come. So I'm struggling songwriters. I'm going to tell, I love each and every one of you, but don't quit. Just about the moment you quit is when one goes through the ceiling. You never know, man. It's so interesting to watch these things happen. And I've known guys like this, like Mac Davis was a good friend. But he wrote some great songs. It's amazing. You just never know where stuff's going to end up. So don't yep. ever go. Yep. Don't. Don't ever run into the deep water and quit because you just never, yeah. I mean, I'm a little older boy. Of course, in the last three years, I was knighted, inducted into the Mozart and uh, Beethoven Hall of Fame. I got an honorary PhD in music. I mean, man, these things just don't happen to a little old older boy from Tarpon Springs, Florida. But if I'd have quit, they would have never happened. Well, they do if you could write timeless classics. And, uh, Bertie, you've written timeless classics, obviously. I would, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, 
encourage everyone to move beyond the hits. Do yourself a favor. The hits are great. They'll bring back all the memories, but there's what we like to call buried treasures deep within the Bertie Higgins catalog. And thank you to Time Life for unearthing some of these and bringing them to the surface. John, any other puns you want to throw in here? <laughs> I'm punned out. <laughs> <laughs> Bertie, thanks again. And uh, maybe we can have you on some time again and hear some more of these great stories. Well, yeah, we could go on all night. Let's go have a beer and sit down somewhere. There we go. <laughs> That's how this whole podcast got started. Yeah. Well, next time I'm down in Florida, I'll shoot you an email, and uh, we can hook up, and I'll buy you a beer. Yeah, and I'll get you some Greek pastizo. I think you'd like it. And I want to tell all the people listening out there, God bless you, and thank you for helping me and supporting me throughout the years. And there's going to be more coming from me, okay? And God bless you boys for having me on your show. Wow. Now that is somebody who has a real passion for songwriting. Despite being the performer that he is, songwriting appears to be his true passion. Yes. I think he could or probably is delivering a masterclass in songwriting just even on the short podcast. And a motivational speaker. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. For songwriters. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I did always, you know, he said he didn't get uh, ever try to veer too far off into the silly. Um, and I wouldn't call his music silly, but I do love his clever approach to, to lyrics. Like, it's easy to kind of look at Key Largo and say, that's a little kitschy, but it's it's really brilliant when you think about how he takes, you know, the perfect movie love story and says, that was us. Remember, we, we had that. So I, I'm a fan, as you well know. Me too. Big time. Good. Big time. All right, well, then let's use that as a segue into the lightning round. Cue the sound effect. Because I've always wanted to ask you this question, and now it's appropriate. Oh, yeah. Are you a bonehead? <laughs> I was long before I even knew what it was. Yeah, and by, I just learned that term recently, too. But by that, I mean, okay, so in your Yacht Rock playlist, I'm guessing there's very little. I bet, I'm guessing there's no Jimmy Buffett. Correct. So my question is, does Bertie Higgins float your boat to the point where you would still keep it in a Yacht Rock playlist, even knowing it's Trop Rock? I, I think that's why I probably spend more time listening to my larger Umbrella 70s, 80s mix, because I'm trying to cull my Yacht Rock thing down to a little more pure Yacht Rock. So uh, I would say no to that, but yes to it's permanently in my favorite lists. Yeah, I, I keep his stuff in my Yacht Rock playlist because I, it's irresistible to me. Uh, I did, however, uh, going through the catalog, I mentioned all these other great songs I found. I am going to ask you, this I think is maybe the closest his music gets to authentic Yacht Rock. And I'm going to throw this one in for consideration. And that is White Line Fever off his first album. Teresa toils in the Peruvian song, got no time to play. So young, looking 20 years older than her day. It's kind of funny. I know you sent me that one earlier, but I kind of had, uh, I didn't have it in my lightning round, but I did have a little mark on that one that I felt that uh, some of the sounds and certainly the variation on the Yacht Rock groove in the verses 
So I would agree that that's probably the one that is the closest for sure. Yeah. And Port of Call on the same album is kind of a similar deal where, and you do get sort of this, you know, more of a ripping guitar lead than, you know, the smooth sound of say trap rock. So yes. Anyways, I thought that would be good for consideration. What do you got for? And uh, I would say that floats my boat as much as any other Bertie Higgins, by the way. All right. Uh, What do you got for float your boat? Well, I sent you this one because I wanted to give you a chance to review it ahead of time as well. Cause um, this is, uh, they're not really from uh, an area that you would consider a bastion of yacht rock. This band comes from Louisiana, and interestingly, they came together as a like a house band at a recording studio. So they were sort of the session guys if you needed uh, rhythm backing. So kind of like a, a small version of what Toto was or Wrecking Crew was. Uh, this is a, the band is called Larue. And from 1981, the song I wanted to ask you how yachty you thought maybe it was is called Nobody Said It Was Easy. Interesting sound. I would say if it's not Yachty, it's about as close as you get without being Yachty. So I, I would say, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just over the Mendoza line for me. I would throw it into it mine. It does have wire choir. Yes. So there's that. <laughs> there is. The whole album is sort of a mix of Southern rock, soft rock. Um, it has a fair amount of polish, but that would probably be, in my opinion, the Yachtiest one on there. All right. I'm digging it. Good find. All right. Buried Treasure. This comes off of a discussion that happened in the Yacht Rock group several weeks ago. So it went into my list. Uh, The original question was about whether the Justin Timberlake sort of remake of this Michael Jackson song. Remember there was a few years ago they dug out a Michael Jackson vocal track that was from a song that was unfinished, and that was Love Has Never Felt So Good. Um, And... Justin Timberlake and the production team kind of resurrected it. And so the question was, how Yachty is this? And I just responded with that. I think the Yachty version of that tune is Johnny Mathis. Love never felt so good. So here's the personnel for you on that one. It was written by uh, Kathy Wakefield, Michael Jackson, and Paul Anka. I did not know the Paul Anka connection, but bass player is Nathan East, Louis Conti on percussion, uh, Jerry Hay doing the horn arrangements. Those would be the main Yachty highlights on that one. I'd say that song's as Yachty as it gets. Yeah, baby. That's right. Firmly on the boat. Like, yes, sir. In the cabin. No chance of it even getting thrown overboard. Mm, okay. Safe. Yes. Safe from being thrown overboard. All right. right. Very good. What do you got? Well, I'm sticking with it a theme, uh, buried treasure. I don't understand what buries a treasure like this. So if you're uh, into making a quote-unquote Yacht Rock compilation or, say, satellite music channel called Yacht Rock, and you're playing Just Another Day in Paradise, and you're playing Key Largo, how do you not play Casablanca? Casablanca. 
think that's a fair question because that song is <laughs> funny because it's his biggest one as it turns out, though our perspective is purely the American snapshot. It's got everything the other two has and more. So uh, yep. get on yep. that one. Yep. All right. All right. Well, I am going to uh, take this opportunity to make a shameless plug. Uh, I already heaped praise onto uh, Birdie in the form of telling him that he was the sort of inspiration for a song that I wrote for August Red. So here it is. Here's a little bit of Sunshine Melody. Sunshine Melodies. Yes. And thanks, much thanks go to you for making that, uh, give it the island vibe um, and, and making it a Bertie Higgins type of tune. I don't remember even talking about you telling me you wanted it to be very Bertie Higgins sounding back when we did it. It just kind of happened. I think we both kind of heard the same thing in it. Yeah, I, I never did. I just, I wrote the song uh, the way I wanted to write a certain song and it came out sounding like that. I'm like, dang it. That could be a Bertie yeah. tune. Wow. I'm not so presumptuous. Right, we'll see what he says. All right. I email yep. it to him. We'll find out. Okay. One more off the map. Yes. This one is goes back to a conversation we've had multiple times in the, the basics of it is interesting how the same song gets released by similar artists within a similar time frame. Uh, not a case of say waiting the 10, 20 years to say I'll cover it, but like two years later and, uh, this was a case of um, George Benson made this a hit on his 2020 album produced by Arif Martin. And uh, 2020 is the name of the album. The year was 1983. But Jeffrey Osborne did it on his emotional album, which was 1986, produced by Michael Masser. And I just wanted to kind of present this one because I really like Jeffrey's version of In Your Eyes. <laughs> I, I was not aware of that version, but I, I really do dig the Jeffrey Osborne from that era. Definitely. I, I take slings and arrows because I love Eeny Meeny Miney Mo or whatever. It's Eeny Meeny, I think it's What's called. What's wrong with that? I mean, the lyrics are it's funny. It's so but yachty. Yeah, I mean, if Georgie Porgy can fly, of course, that one gets slings and arrows too. So eh, yeah. what do I know? Oh, speaking of which, like, so I was going through yep. Birdie's whole catalog, 27 albums worth. M- much of it is on Spotify. It, the nautical references are just like pretty much everywhere, as you might expect. Yeah. But not uh-huh. n- nowhere, anywhere did he ever write a song entitled Ahoy Polloi. Boop, doom, Psst. 